0: get ready to roll. So uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Open Mic, and uh, it's, it's, we've taken a little break, and so uh, it's now 2022, and so we're kind of into season three, and my guest is A.J. Pleasure, who is lead pastor at Yarmouth Wesleyan Church down on the, the south shore of Nova Scotia, and so uh, welcome AJ thanks for taking the time to do this. Thanks Mike. And, uh, and so why don't you just I usually start out with a little bio just uh, tell people a little bit of your spiritual background like where you come from maybe how you became a Christian your call to ministry that kind of thing so uh, yeah just uh, go for it and tell us tell us a little bit about AJ Pleasure.
1: Sure uh, I was born right into a pastor's home and so I've often said I know church like i know oxygen like i've never not known them as a reality and so being in a pastor's home being raised by a pastor who's mostly bivocational of small churches it's kind of the whole family's life it's not just dad goes to work at a church the family is in ministry and so the family band on sunday uh, your dad's your, dad, your pastor he's your youth group leader your mom's your kids worker it was just everything we did. So even my own journey to my faith was almost a, I, I was born into it, had to push away from it and come back to it because it, it was all I knew. There was no discovering it. There was a, I've got to detach from my parents' faith to find my faith. And so uh, unfortunately, a lot of that probably happened at Kingswood where uh, being in a pastor's home, just at a young age feeling a call into ministry, but had not yet worked out my salvation and didn't feel the total freedom to do that in a pastor's home. Once I got some space, ironically, I was at Bible college and good days and bad days as I worked out all those tensions, uh, but really sensing that God wanted me specifically, not just my family. And God was inviting me into ministry, not just my family. That was really worked out, uh, Probably my Kingswood years, um, and then w- was in ministry at a, a Church of Bristol, New Brunswick. Came down to Yarmouth on staff, Fredericton, and now I'm back in Yarmouth as lead pastor. And so, church has always been a part of my life. Christ has always been a part of my life, but the journey for that to be rooted in my soul was probably in my late teens and early twenties.
0: Yeah, was there like a was there a turning point or a moment where you uh, suddenly? Like it, you had, you know, what I guess what people are calling deconstruction now, where you you kind of you you kind of take things apart and you look at, like, okay, what's real? What, what am I keeping from my parents' faith and what am I throwing away? And like, like that moment when you uh, when you really kind of locked into this is what my life is going to be about.
1: Yeah, I, I would say there were two defining moments if I had to circle them one positive one negative and maybe that's kind of how God sometimes does things one by edification one by kind of being rebuked a little bit right but the first one I was legit at the Kingswood or as Bethany Bible College certainly was the down the old library at the time we we're having chapel still and freshman year uh oh I'm drawing a blank on the song but there's a line that says, how could a king die for me? I'm drawing a blank. Amazing love. Right. Right. Amazing love. It's super popular in 2001. And for some reason, a pastor's kid raised in that environment, the phrase a king dying for me just hit me in a way that had never been hit before. And that started my, my appetite for Christ in a fresh and new way. What does it mean that the king would lay down his life for somebody like me, which was the positive. Unfortunately, there were some behavioral issues that I was not surrendering yet. And my second defining moment, uh, some people know this, if they've been around the district for long enough time, I was suspended from ministry. Um, I I was outside the lines, (laughs) bounds of appropriate behavior. And it led me to a formal meeting with our district and being suspended And there's something about having a come to Jesus conversation as a nobody that scared me. That what if this had happened, like if that that happened now, the risk and reverberations would be so different. And so I think by God's grace, instead of letting me dance in that, he just kind of took out the two by four, took me to the woodshed and got my attention in the other way. So his love came first and his discipline came second. (laughs) But those were for me. What am I doing? Is this serious or is this not? Am I just playing games with this whole faith and church thing?
0: Yeah, and that's uh, you know, and you know that old, that old phrase like the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Uh, you know that's true sometimes, but there's there's also times when when God really, you know, kind of lays it on heavy, and and I think we need both of them.
1: Absolutely, and even in His discipline, it's still redemptive.
0: Right. Right
1: even in going to the woodshed it wasn't for my destruction it was we're going to redeem this if you will cooperate if you want to rebel from this and push away that's your choice but by his grace I was invited to participate and get that Some of that, like yeah he's he's a gentleman but he takes off the gloves sometimes <laughs>
0: right <laughs> so I one of the things that I uh you know and it was probably as you were working through that process but it was fairly obvious to me like when you were when you were here at kingswood as a student uh, that that you had leadership qualities like that you were going to lead one way or the other like you were uh, you were going to lead people like astray or in a good direction but people were going to I heard, I heard like a bit yeah people were going to listen to you and they were going to follow you like one way uh, one way or the, or the other so it's it's pretty uh, that was pretty obvious uh, early on. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that you chose to, to respond, uh, in the, in the, the positive, uh, to that. And, and so, uh, and, and you're right, like having, having that happen early is so there's so much less of a a risk and a cost to that than having it happen later when you've got a bigger platform and you're influencing, you know, we we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of years. And we know the devastation that can, uh, that can cause, uh, and yeah, and so uh, so as you as you kind of moved out and you graduated and went into into ministry, uh, like what were some of those early lessons? Like your first years in ministry, what were what were some of the things that you ran into along the way?
1: Even uh, even what you're kind of speaking to tongue in cheek there, uh, I think I had a much much greater view of what I could do in ministry in a, in a smaller view of what God could do in ministry. And I, I think it wasn't born out of malicious intent, but I kind of saw ministry as my offering or my thanksgiving to God. Like, Hey, you did this for me. Thank you for your grace. Now I will work hard. Watch what I can do for you. And my mindset was watch what a good investment. I was the King who died for me will not have done it in vain. It will not have been wasted, not on this guy. I will pay it back. And so it wasn't ministry with God. It was ministry for God. And that was a really painful journey that lasted far longer than I'd care to admit where it was, here's what I can do and I'll offer it to him and that breaking that and peeling that back. This is not about you. And I could do this without you if I had to was a really painful Submitting to His power was a really painful journey. That was yeah,
0: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's fairly like a common experience that everybody kind of runs in. Like if I if I look at the first five years of my Christian life, I think I think I was I was operating in in that model, uh, and and then uh, learning learning to work with God and with the Holy Spirit was like a whole. it, It it kind of looked the same sometime on the outside. Right. But it had a different motivation and a different it was just a different way of operating, uh, which was much more fruit as well.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and it, you're right. It doesn't look the same, but there's a big difference between uh, producing a sermon or writing a sermon and he and I co-creating a sermon. And so it, the sermon was written and I preached it, but I know for a fact far too many of my sermons where me cranking something out because it was the right thing to say to check the boxes versus getting after his heart. Is this what you want me to share from this passage to these people at this time? It may look the same, but it's not the same.
0: Yeah. Some of my worst structured sermons have had the most impact because they were more, you know, like in the moment and spirit led than, uh, and some of the perfect ones, the ones you go like, Oh, this is so good. Like I really, you know, I really put this together well. Uh, and then and then they just fall flat and you realize uh, it's, not, it's not really about the perfect sermon, right?
1: I've even said to the staff a few times, they've said, how are you feeling about this weekend? And I'll even say, I've got a sermon, but I'm not sure I've got a message. Right. <laughs> or, or I've said, guys, I've got a message, but I cannot churn out a sermon in the traditional sense. And so they almost know like, I can fabricate 30 minutes of content, but I'm not sure I've got something to say or I've got something to say, and I don't know how she's coming out.
0: Right, right, yeah, and so that's uh, that, Yeah, that's the paradox sometimes, I guess, of of uh of you know walking that walking that line. Because we we want to do things well. It's not like an excuse to just kind of be lazy and go like, oh, I don't even know what I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm just gonna, you know, and kind of wing in it. But but there is definitely like a a tension between between that and uh and and being being spirit-led, right? So Absolutely. yeah, so uh Tell us a little bit about your your, kind of your ministry now and uh, your, your, I know you have like a vision uh, not just for like your local church, but you have a vision for your area, for the South shore of Nova Scotia.
1: Yeah. So I landed back in Yarmouth. I mean, I was on staff at Yarmouth Weston with your son-in-law like for a few years back in the early 2010 era, but I felt called to lead. And so I was at Corbett for a while But there was something I want to be, I want to be faithful there, but my heart never left Southwest Nova. And I can't really unpack that fully, but it never left. And a few years later, they were in transition and I got the call to come back. And this has only ever happened once or twice in my life, but in praying about coming back down here to a community that I, I knew in a region that I knew, I didn't want to come to just pastor the church. Not that there's something wrong with that, but I was already doing that. So if I was already pastoring a church, why would I just move to pastor another church? And so I started asking God, what's the difference? Like, what do you want me to do there that I can't currently do here? And why am I going? And as clear as day, I was driving to do a wedding in the backwoods of New Brunswick. As clear as day, I felt God say, take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. And that's not a jaw-dropping statement. But, but Yarmouth Weston, as great a church as it has been over the 70 years of its history, was predominantly a local church doing regional ministry built on the everyone from the region come to 70 Haley Road at our address. We have an amazing facility, an amazing team, an amazing ministry, come and we'll minister to you. And I felt God saying the time was to flip that script to stop saying come, but we're gonna go to every community. We're still reaching them, but instead of waiting for them to come to us, how do we go to them? How do we take our assets, our resources and our people and, and not wait for them to find us, but to go out to them? And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I interviewed on that one-liner. I preached my candidating sermon on that one-liner and I told them, vote me in on that singular issue. If you're not in on that, don't vote me in because I'm not budging. And that kind of kicked off our vision of how do we reach out to the kind of the bottom third of Nova Scotia, partnering with churches, planting churches, and releasing more small groups in small rural communities. And off we went in 2016. Yeah. And that,
0: uh, I mean, that going in with that kind of clarity, uh, to like, not just clarity for you, but clarity for the church that is inviting you to come, uh, it's like what a great foundation to launch from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't, have to,
1: they didn't have to like it, but they weren't confused by it.
0: Right, right, yeah. It was very, very, very clear.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, and so uh, tell us, tell us, like how that has unfolded since since uh, 2016 or 17. Like, yeah. what does that what does that look like in practical terms?
1: So in 16, uh, Yarmouth Wesley and Proper had a good chunk of people. Uh, a little bit of money, but not a lot of direction. And so the first year to year and a half was a lot of solidifying our foundation. Uh, we, we taught on the kingdom for a solid year, just various angles, but we just did not progress from that. Then we taught on the gospel for a solid year and just started laying our foundation. Cause before you send people out, you want to know what kind of people you're sending out. And so we just took care of home base for a while, um, started connecting with the pastors in the area and how can we resource, how can we share? We, We live in a lot of rural area down here. So there's a lot of single pastor churches. So I told them, my staff is your staff. My key leaders are your key leaders. If you're up in a pinch, if you need something, what I have is yours. And so we'd be in churches and pulpits and doing ministry at all kinds of churches and denominations that first little while. And then at about, I think it was near the end of year two, Uh, your boy, Jason Parker moved down here (laughs) and he sought me out and he said, man, I've got a burden and apparently I should be talking to you. Excuse me. And so he and I started kind of walking lock and step and my strengths for kind of strategy administration and leadership and his uh, hardcore apostolic entrepreneurial evangelistic, just was kind of a nice connection, and so we started feeding off each other. The coastal story started becoming a reality where we could plant a church 40 minutes down the road in a town of about 2,000 people. So we that was our first big shift out beyond just helping churches. We actually planted something brand new down there. Um, started raising up leaders. Had to adjust our budget practically speaking. To not run our budget at hundred percent because now we're offsetting the cost of a baby church. So how can we be more sacrificial do ministry leaner run one staff down to give margin for them. They're two years down the road. Our next plant uh, down in our South end with Tom can is off and off to the ground. Planting a church in the pandemic is a load of fun.
0: <laughs> I'm sure.
1: <laughs> but again, how does YWC be sacrificial again and drop our budget again to do ministry leaner and more sacrificially to release our assets and not hoard them up including releasing tom who i worked with for seven and a half years side by side and so the practical was how do we keep doing our ministry but minimizing our overhead to release it out in any way shape and form
0: yeah and and you really uh, I mean, that's a faith step because uh, you've, you've got to like at your core, you've got to believe you can't outgive God. Like if we if we sacrifice, God will make up the difference. And, and to, it's one thing to say that it's another to actually uh, do it and put it into your budget. Right.
1: <laughs> so, so practically speaking, two years in a row, uh, we budgeted a fifty thousand dollar deficit just saying, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work. We believe we got to. so at the end of the year, we're probably going to be fifty thousand dollars in the hole. And both times, we came out with plus <clears throat> probably twenty-five to fifty thousand both times. And so, not even just our deficit, we exceeded our giving expectations. To your point, I think God is compelled to bless risk, not stupid risk, but with <laughs> him. right, right with the holy spirit i think he is compelled to just want to bless it
0: yeah and and uh i think he, he just always finances what he initiates like if you're really if you're really following and it's something that's been initiated by the spirit uh you don't you don't have to worry about i'm not saying it's easy but you don't have to to worry about where the funds are going to come from they always sometimes they come from weird angles and unexpected places but they're there right
1: Well, you'll hear, you'll hear leaders and pastors say, boy, I wish we could do that. I wish we had the money to do it. And that's, that's the wrong starting point, right? If you, if you think you should do, and God is in it, take a risk and see if he doesn't bless it because I, more often than not, we've stepped out with a half-baked plan and he comes through over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. I, I often tell people, you know, they as people like sometimes people look at my instagram life you know and they and they're like oh man you know you know and and it you know involves like a certain amount of uh, risk and stuff and i was like well there's a special place that i've found in the bible where god's blessing always comes it's it's a place called in trouble like if you will if you not in a, a stupid way but if you will get yourself in trouble for god yeah like he is he's obligated to come come and and rescue you out of it and bless you right as long as you're doing it doing it for him right
1: and 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 there's there's wise place for the council of believers oh for sure yeah like i've got an awesome board an awesome group of leaders at our church that when i start spouting off all manner of craziness (laughs) like sending out my right hand guy to plant a campus 2.6 kilometers away the board's like all right, this seems like something God would be into. I'm not, I'm not on an Island by myself, like the mad scientist cooking up this stuff. There are some wise people who want to risk with me and for the Lord. It's a ton of fun.
0: Yeah. It, it, it sounds like it. So what's your, uh, what's like next on you? Do you have another, um, another thing in mind, another place you're going or like what's next for the vision?
1: Yeah. I, th- I think what's next is two things. Uh, Sacrifice to plant two campuses in two and a half years comes at a cost. And uh, both the planting cost, plus we've had some uh, pandemic casualties with our staff. And so we've been kind of rattled at home base as of late. So our next two things are we need to go back to 2016 and restabilize and re solidify home base again. Um, we have given a lot, we have sent a lot out, we have bled through the pandemic, like a lot of churches and a lot of leaders. So right now we've got to get healthy and stable again. And then the, the thing I'm praying into right now is not another church plant. I'm praying into a church adoption right now. And I don't have one. There's no, this is not, this is not the podcast where I reveal that we're adopting a church. (laughs) Right. But, but as I text some good friends in the district and process, one of my hearts is not just planting new but reviving old and, and so i would love to see a turnaround story with an adoption where we again sacrifice and send but to revive something that has potential but it's not yet fully realized how could we contribute and participate in that kind of a story next
0: yeah and that's a fairly uh that's a fairly unique thing like i don't hear a lot of people saying that because there's a lot of people that are like well you know, once something is in trouble, just let it die and start something new. But uh, but I mean, if we believe in redemption, I think it's possible for churches as well as as well as individuals. Right.
1: And I absolutely I don't believe every church should be resuscitated. I right. Think <laughs> I think sometimes like everybody has their time. Right. <laughs> and it will come for your with Wesleyan someday. Right. So I don't think always you should resuscitate but I think some churches struggle and die unnecessarily that if we actually believed in the body of Christ and we actually leaned in together, there's no way I can do anything in Barrington without Parker. I mean, we're not talking without the Lord. right? But I need Jason. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not even a church planter at heart. And so I cannot do it without him. And I think that is true for some churches that are struggling we could help each other by partnering together and we would be better together if we leaned in on it. So I'd love to see a turnaround story.
0: Yeah. And it, and it kind of goes, it goes back to like the five, the fivefold ministry, like that the partnership of all those different giftings works so much better than, Absolutely. than one, than one solo person just trying to be everything on their own. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's just, it's really, really hard. And, uh, and and more than that, it's not really even biblical. Like it's it's impossible for us to be all things to all people. We can try, uh, you know. Like Paul said, that uh, we try to be all things to all people. But but our gifts do our gifts are limited, Absolutely. and uh, you know we and so if we if we partner if we partner with those who have strengths that we don't, it definitely it definitely uh, makes everything work a little better. I think
1: <laughs> it's amazing.
0: So, uh, you, you mentioned it, it's almost impossible to not talk about COVID, uh, and so, uh, give us a little bit of, of your spin about how you've navigated, like, being a leader, a lead, leading, not only leading a church, but, like, planting a church, like, through through this season that we're in. Uh, just talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll do the planting specifically, and then we can talk generally. Okay. But the planting specifically was a a definite conversation at the table I'm sitting at right now with my vice chair. And we had talked about the south end of Yarmouth. We had talked about sending Tom, but the first six months of the pandemic, if we all remember, I mean, it was alarm bells and it was, it was the Great Depression was coming back again. And we were like, this was going to be awful. And we were seeing some downticks of our finances. We were feeling the pressure. And our, my vice chair and I, we sat here and was like, okay, if, if this drags on, where are we pruning? And realistically, who are we letting go to stay alive? I remember it's going back and forth and trying to decide which staff we let go, trying to decide if push comes to shove, and this crisis beats the life out of us, what are we gonna do? And As clear as day, I remember he and I saying, like, if we're going to risk in who we let go, why don't we risk in releasing someone to stretch out? They're both risk. One is risk to preserve, and one is risk to take new ground for the kingdom, but both are risky. And so we didn't know the future. We didn't know what was going to happen, but if we're going to risk, let's go, let's take the poker chips and go all in. Because I know Wesleyans love to gamble. So (laughs) let's go all in and that was kind of birthed some hope in the middle of a really discouraging time where this is not the first time the church has had difficult times and why are we turning tail and running why don't we lean into the difficulty and so it was not easy but i would actually give the pandemic a little bit of credit to forcing my hand um we needed to do more ministry in the pandemic not less we need to risk more not preserve and stay alive so that'd be the first thing I would say, just as you touched on the whole planting thing. And I will say now that we're five months into it, it has been an infinitely harder journey than we expected. Way harder. Hope is low. Momentum is almost impossible. And the restrictions change every seven hours. So you're just on the rebound and reaction all the time. It's It's been way harder than I expected, but I don't regret it. Yeah,
0: cri- crisis management is... Uh... Yeah, it, it's meant to be short-term, and so when it, be, <laughs> when it becomes long-term, it can be really, really exhausting, right?
1: I, I, can, I can feel my adrenaline climbing every time I see a post that there's going to be a press conference. On right, right. I can just feel the fight <laughs> Because like, here we go. Are yeah, they putting numbers? Are they locking us down? Is it masks? Is it vaccines? What emails am I going to get? I can just feel the adrenaline surging.
0: Right. Yeah. And in uh, Canada and the U.S. have handled this in, in different and in di- well, different parts of the U.S. too have handled it in different in different ways. So I've I've traveled a little I've probably traveled in COVID more than most people would. Uh, not as much as I usually do. But uh, so I've seen uh, I've, not, I've seen a, some different ways that different areas of North America are handling things. And uh, we, we are definitely in a in an area here in the Maritimes that has a very, very careful, cons- c- c- uh, overly careful conservative approach, probably so.
1: Well, and that's that's been trying too, because what we're processing as pastors is where do we do the biblical honoring the government, and where do we honor the perspective of this province's government versus New Brunswick versus Florida versus California versus Alberta, because it's not objective it's subjective
0: yeah very and
1: so it's so which government are we honoring which government's opinion yes the land we live in but we i mean we're in nova scotia but all of atlantic canada has been extremely cautious sometimes rightly so sometimes unnecessarily so
0: yeah and so yeah i know it takes it, it takes a, per, a personal toll on a leader uh just in terms of you know kind of your psyche and how you're handling everything but uh but also uh, for the like, what's it been like for for the church for for you guys as a church?
1: It, it, it I, I have hated most <laughs> of it <laughs> because I think we all had great aspirational ideas of man, this is going to drive us deeper in Christ, and we're all going to be revived and renewed, and we're all, we all had these hopeful prayers. But what we've seen, unfortunately, at least in our province. It, I mean, we're in the people business. I exist for people, I don't exist for programs, I don't exist for budgets, I exist for people. And the narrative has been, people are dangerous, people are bad, people are your opposition. Even to the narrative of, we will relax the restrictions when X percent of people get vaccinated. So tell the people in your life to get vaccinated and when they do, we will bless you. And it pitted people against each other. It turned people inward and so all of a sudden, Churches that were supposed to be built on unity are turning inward, facing off on each other, and now people are risky, people are dangerous, people are my opposition. That has been wreaking havoc on our church, I'm sure most churches, but that is by far, the the interpersonal tensions is, is palpable. Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, I just, I was just reading uh, John Mark Comer's new book and uh, it was on spiritual warfare, but one of the the things that jumped out at me was he, he, uh, and I think he was quoting somebody else, but he basically said, if if you live in a culture that doesn't really believe uh, in the devil, uh, what will ultimately happen is uh, people will, people will start demonizing other people. They'll start, they'll find, they'll find a devil somewhere. They'll find somebody to, you know, and I, uh, with the whole you know the uh, very strange uh kind of hatred of the unvaxed and that i see uh going on around us it's 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 like wow like we're this is very dangerous where is this coming from <laughs> it's not it's not a good thing
1: and and i'm not i'm not into the whole god or de- the devil is into covid right but boy i will say the enemy is Taking every opportunity to use what is a is a is a concern to be an overblown concern and to to blow up families and blow up marriages and villainize people like the thing you're saying th- this is an opportunity and he is wreaking havoc inside the church
0: yeah and so uh, so have you seen any of those uh, like what you mentioned earlier about you know have you have you guys Learn any of the deeper lessons, uh, you know, in in this, because it is uh, it is definitely like a pruning time and uh, a reevaluation time, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think if we've learned anything, and I think we knew this, but it's still painful to know something versus to see it in the mirror when you have to take the hard look. the The church machine, when that stopped, that revealed who had their roots down deep and who was a part of the machine. And and, and, I mean, you and I, Mike, have shared interest in physical fitness over the years, off and on. right? (laughs) When gyms closed, it revealed who was a member of the gym and who valued fitness. And I think what happened for the church, when the, when the machine stopped, it revealed who was a member of the thing and who had their roots in Christ. And that's not a character assassination or an indictment on people but but i think when the personal trainers in the faith world stopped giving people something to do it got really difficult for people because i'm not sure their foundation was strong or their roots were down deep and so we've been reviving spiritual disciplines like never before here your spiritual exercises that if you don't participate there's no amount of online content there's no amount of streaming that we could ever do to substitute for your roots, that like Colossians two six and seven. For your roots to go down deep in Christ, and for you to be built up, there's no substitution for it.
0: Yeah, that's a really good analogy, actually, because because uh, yeah, I like the moment the gym closed down. Like I started collecting equipment to put in my basement. Of course, you. Do. And you know, I had a really janky gym. You know, yeah. you know, and it wasn't it wasn't quite as good, but it was something, uh, and uh, and that that probably kept me sane. Uh,
1: through <laughs> you're down there bench pressing with a mop handle <laughs> on each side like but if you value that in your life you're going to find a way
0: right right
1: and i think this may have revealed for the church we are being pruned did you value the activity and the busyness and the routine and the structure or was it christ you valued and i i'm not sure we've got that sorted out quite yet
0: Right. Right. It's so the process is still ongoing. So uh, any other any other thoughts uh, like uh, for any any kind of pro tips for leaders or anything you would say as as they as they kind of navigate the, the where we're at and the ongoing uh, nature of it.
1: I think anyone should be cautious of pro tips. But <laughs> <laughs> Right.
0: None of us are pros. Right.
1: <laughs> I, I think one of the things that we've been processing and reviving is the significance of the small things. Um we just had a staff meeting yesterday with all of our campuses that said, yes, let's do online, yes, let's do seminars, yes, be creative. But I think we're 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 being reminded of one phone call to one person deeply matters right now. One coffee with one person is of such a premium. I, I think for all of the online strategy, it has been, excellent at delivering content but we are incarnational people we are flesh and blood dirt under the fingernails me sitting down with one person who i know their name i hear their story i think that is at an all-time high and people can disagree with me and that's fine i can live with that but stopping by to see one senior and having one conversation might change that person's week or month or mental health state we are putting a premium on this, on the small things right now.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's really good because, you know, ultimately, ultimately we have a, you know, we have a God who, who embodied himself in Christ. Like, and, and so uh, uh, we, you know, we do have the Bible and we do have content uh, in that sense, but, but there is just something about uh, the one-on-one personal uh, touch that, that you can't replicate in any other way. It just, uh Just doesn't work right
1: right before the pandemic. Uh, part of my regional ministry and bringing churches together is we rented the biggest venue in Southwest Nova, it's not very big, but in our context, it's pretty big. (laughs) Uh, And so we rented it. I got 11 churches together and we cooked up a Christmas service 2019. And we put 2,200 people standing room only in this arena. We worship, we, we lowered our denominational flags, we raised Jesus flag, packed the place out. And 90 days later, we were allowed to have five people in a room. And, and I think, ashamedly, for most of the pandemic, I kept thinking, how do I get out of this and get back to being able to blow the roof off a building? In the last five months, it's that's dead and gone. And I'm not even sure that matters. How do I get five people in a room? And how do I value them and know their names and know their stories? And how do we do that constantly? I am much more on that train now than how do I get back to 2,200 people?
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know if you've seen that meme that's been floating around this week, but it, it, it basically says, normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. So get ready for that. <laughs> like, and
1: I think that's where we're all at. Right? We all were clawing to get back to something that isn't coming back. Right. And it didn't even matter. In the, in the, I mean, there's value for raising the, I get it, but there's nothing like sitting, talking to one person whose life is imploding and breathing hope into them.
0: Yeah. Not, hey uh, that's a, that's probably a good point to end on, I think uh, right there. So yeah. uh, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to share. Really, really enjoyed uh, chatting and uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, Someday, uh, someday I might be back down in your end of Nova Scotia, and uh, and yeah, we'll we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. So
1: well, I uh, think I think for you specifically, this new initiative we're doing with Tom, when you get time. Oh, to- ta-
0: tailor made! I'll be there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> legitimately, I think you're welcome at all of our campuses. But knowing what I know of you, you and Tom hanging out for a day and swapping ideas and getting the juices flowing, I think you would you would love it to the max.
0: Okay, so, soon as I can, I'll be down. I'd love to have you. Okay, thanks. I'll, uh, I'm going to end our recording here now, so pause it.